All right, welcome to episode 16 of the Woke Antidote. We are coming to you guys early this week. There was so much news to get to these first couple days. But before we do, TB, why don't you give us a recap of, of where you were at this weekend? What's going on, SB? It's great to be back again uh, shortly after our first double dose over the weekend. Uh, but but yeah, I... Uh, the reason why we did record two last week, I actually had a friend's wedding uh, in the South over the weekend. So uh, it was a great time. Uh, it was actually the first flight I've been on since the federal government ended the mask mandate. So uh, I know it just seems like a, something small, but I have to tell you after the past two years of lunacy, it felt it just felt right to be on a plane without a mask. It felt great. Um, and, and like the entire time I was on the plane, uh, I would say there was probably about like ten to twenty percent tops of the of the uh, the passengers who were still wearing masks. Um, so clearly, you know, the good guys won. But you know, all kidding aside, I did have this thought cross my mind as I was flying, and I you know I thought to myself, you know, the people wearing the masks, they very much you could tell by some of them on their face they were not happy that others around them were were not wearing masks. And if they had their way, everyone would still be masked. Meanwhile, me, where I think wearing a mask is idiotic at this point in time, um, I'm not going to stop them. They have every right to do so. Um, so it was just, you know, I, I think it just is like quite a juxtaposition in, in thought between what the left and right have become these days, where, you know, one wants complete total control, tell you how to live your life, tell you to constantly live in fear and, and lockdown, where the other ones are taking a rational approach that, you do what you deem is best. If you think wearing a mask is going to save you or protect you, God bless you. Like, do whatever makes you happy. You wearing a mask does not bother me, does not intrude on my personal liberty. The same way me not wearing a mask with the current numbers, the way that they are, where um, it's no longer a pandemic, it's now an endemic that we are going to live with, just like the flu. Um, I think, you know, I think that's totally fine. But Anyways, um, I, was, I was talking to some of our friends, uh, including SB, over the weekend. And just being in the South, it, like, it really made me uh, just want to, to move there. Uh, and I've talked about my, my desire to, to move to, uh, to Florida one day. But I, there, there's definitely a shift in culture between living uh, in an you know, Eastern uh, coastal elite type of place. Um, so like in the New York City area versus living in the south and, and what i mean by that is uh a lot of my friends who live down there actually um there's a, they're, they're a mix of democrat and republican the democrats they are pretty liberal um the, the ones that i'm friends with um but what i noticed is like politics is not really talked about in the south and people don't really care what your political views are um or if you know i've, I've had political conversations and uh, debates, you know, at the wedding or, you know, when we're at bars and stuff like that. And, it didn't, and I use the word debate. It wasn't even like a strong argument. It was just two people just uh, or a group of people just explain their perspectives and learn from each other. And even if we didn't agree, uh, we understood. And we it was like a very civil conversation. And it was just when I juxtaposed that with my experience living uh, where I do, it just kind of made me feel really sad that, you know, the way that the world is, especially for the woke left, they don't want to hear that. They don't welcome a difference in opinion. Um, they they want to shut you down. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about this in, in, a, in a, just a second here when we talk about 
uh, the big Twitter news, but that's at the crux of, of their belief system that any opinion that challenges their own is seen as a threat. It's seen as violence. And I, I don't get that vibe at all in the South. Like it, people are pretty open-minded there and it's, it's really refreshing. So, so yes, B, I mean, I, I gotta say, I, I think I'm going to plan more trips down South because these are my kind of people just, you know, they let you live free and you, you know, you get to do what you want. And I think that's the way life should be. Uh, so who knows, maybe I'll start a, looking at some property down there soon enough. Well, hey, that would be another advantage because the the city property prices these days are just out of control. But I totally agree. I haven't been this particular year in the summer, but last summer I was down in the south as well and completely agree. The the environment down there, it's much more relaxed and laid back. And really it's about freedom. It's freedom of choice. You talked about it when you were flying. That's what we want in this world. We shouldn't be forced to do anything. America, that's where we came from, freedom. And we, we've lost that. So we've lost that in a lot of areas of life. We've lost it in freedom of speech. And so that's obviously going to be our top story this week. Um, I don't think it would be any surprise to the listeners that Elon Musk buying Twitter. Um, this is the shot heard around the world. This is amazing news. TB. Me and you were on it. I think it was episode 11 we recorded when he had bought the 9% stake, which was crazy. And there was a lot of doubters out there that not a lot would happen. And if you remember the stock, it obviously went up, but, you know, it didn't go up to what it is today. And then we eventually had kind of that dance back and forth. Was Elon going to join the board? Then he wasn't. Then maybe he would do a tender offer. And where we left it off uh, on Friday of, of last weekend was that we, no one really knew what this next step from Elon would be, whether it would be more of a hostile step or more of a he just offers to buy the company and, and they accept it. And so a lot of the people in financial media that, that we were following, they were doubting it. They were saying, nope, the, the board wouldn't accept this. He's going to have to go hostile like a tender offer or something. And what do you know? The board immediately accepts it on Monday when he does the offer. And I think they did it for a couple of reasons. And, and for one, the financing totally lined up. So Elon's paying with cash. He's taking margin loans against his Tesla stake, which is, is more than enough to do the deal. Um, Twitter itself is going to there's going to be debt on the balance sheet to pay for the deal. And as someone in the financial markets, uh, I saw some tweets and some takes that oh, Twitter's going to be totally over leveraged and all that. No, this is typical private equity. This is classic for what happens. You buy the company and some of the funding cost is on the balance sheet borrowed against the earnings of the company. So that was totally fine. And I think another reason that this was accepted was because the offer was just too good. If we remove Elon from being a Twitter shareholder because he, he basically gave that threat where if he didn't get the company, he would then sell his nine percent stake i mean look around at at facebook at netflix we're recording on tuesday google was just down i think four percent after hours after a youtube ad slowdown and they were down three percent today so all of these tech companies that rely on consumer spending and advertising are getting thrashed and what elon did apparently according to the reports is that he met with some of these top shareholders and he probably told them kind of what we're saying now, which is, A, I'm going to sell if you don't sell to me. 
and your stock's going to go down a lot further. And second is that this is not a great time for some of these consumer-facing tech companies. They're getting crushed in the market. And yeah, the, the NASDAQ was down 4% today. So I think once Elon got the financing, so it was a serious bid. He went to Morgan Stanley and got it. When he talked to uh, large holders of the company that wanted to monetize some gains, it was it, it was an easy decision for the board because at that point, if the board doesn't accept, then they aren't doing their fiduciary duty and they they probably would be at risk of being sued. So yeah, we're we're extremely pumped here. And TB, I know you did it, I did it. We really enjoyed some of the reactions to this news from some of the libs. So why don't you start us off here? What what was your favorite reaction from from what the libs had when they saw this news? Uh, this this series of Woke in the Wild brings me great joy and pleasure. So thank you, SB, for letting me kick this one off. Uh, so there, there's just some absolute beauties here. Uh, there was, uh, I just want to make sure I get his name right, uh, Ari Melber, he was a he was on MSNBC the other day, uh, where he was literally melting down, saying that oh you know now that Elon owns Twitter, all of a sudden Democrat candidates are going to get censored and Democrat opinions are going to get shadow banned, and that all of a sudden under trending you're going to see Republican and conservative opinions and voices being promoted, and he was saying how horrible that was. SB, has this guy been lost the past four years? Has he not seen what's been happening on Twitter to the Republicans? You got to give me a break. Like, that was the per- perfect encapsulation of someone who's just completely out of touch. That one made me laugh so hard. <laughs> um, that was a fantastic one. The other, uh, the other one I wanted to share was, uh, you know, so our, our lovely friends, uh, Joy Reid, uh, our friends at The View, and one of our, our newest friends, uh, well, he's an old friend, but a new friend on the show, Sean King. Uh, you may also know him as Talcum X. Um, <laughs> he was on, he was going off on Twitter, just all the, that group just accusing Elon Musk of coming from an apartheid state, uh, that his sole motivation for acquiring Twitter was to uh, just to be racist and to empower white men. And that supposedly Twitter is, is run by and exclusively used by uh, mostly white men. Uh, so they turn it into a complete, you know, t- race issue when there's absolutely no reason for it. Uh, but, you know, SB, we, we predicted this. We said that, uh, like with anything, he was it was like a, a, a play out of the, the Joe Rogan playbook where if you can't win the argument on merit, you'll just uh, play the race card and you'll call someone a evil racist bigot and that's their only counter. But... It was the expected response from those folks, and watching the meltdown over this just brings me so much joy. Yeah, well, we had um, we sent out a tweet at a three thirty yesterday. Um, Libs who leave Twitter after an hour away, and I, I had the the gif uh, of Jack and Lost screaming. We have to go back, and little do I mean, come on, Talcomax leaves for a day, he's back the next day, so. Give me a freaking break. I mean, he was quote tweeting Donald Trump Jr. and saying, I'm back, motherfucker. And like, <laughs> I mean, no, we the, the funny part is for a guy like that, you know, we will leave him be. I mean, that and that's the beauty of how the right thinks about free speech. 
we're okay with you staying. We, we, we disagree with you. We think you're an idiot, but <laughs> we're okay with you staying. And, and that was what Elon said uh, uh, the day that he, he won it on Monday. Um, his quote was, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that's what free speech means. So I don't think the liberals really get this in that Elon is simply buying it to make sure free speech is back. But the libs have been so used to Twitter being pretty much run as a left wing partisan group to help Democrats that they are perceiving free speech as this crazy right wing um, idea, which is unreal. And and speaking of the the race card, which, of course, is always going to be played, you, we, you had The View, which um, is another one of our favorite uh, groups to talk about on the pod where the one of the view hosts literally said that Twitter is going to go back to only being for straight white men. So, I mean, wh- like, where are these takes coming from? It's just these deranged people have been so used to far left ideas that when you actually have a town square, they're completely losing it. And some other people who lost it. Now, we don't have the, the inside knowledge of this. Um, but TB, like, you know, you've talked about some of the slacks yep. that you've had in, in your internal um, tech uh, companies. But there is a big tweet going around about the Twitter employees reacting. And one of them was that the, the employees were going in, in their internal group slacks. It's absolutely insane at Twitter right now in the virtual vows of private slack rooms and employee group texts, according to an internal source. Their take and breakdown is, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I really don't want to work for a company that is owned by Elon Musk. So you just have this ultimate freak out. And why does it really matter who you're working for at the end of the day? I mean, you do it. I do it. We don't necessarily like the CEOs and the people that are running our companies, but we do it because we work and we don't necessarily have to agree with everyone. Meanwhile, these libs are just so pampered and there was other stats running around and we have this on our Twitter too of the, the percentage of employees donating um, to, to candidates. They split it by Republican and Democrat. And I'm looking at this list right now. So it's employee donations to midterm candidates by party. Netflix, surprise, surprise, 99.6% Democrat and the rest Republican. Twitter comes in number two at that list, 98.7 Democrat. So this is the world these people are living in, TB. It's the ultimate wokeness. They think that's normal. And when they step outside and they have news like this, their entire world just breaks. Yeah. It, that that Twitter, that uh, Slack story reminded me at uh, one of the companies I was at when Trump won uh, the 20, 2016 election, my, my company Slack was just going crazy. They organized a hour of meditation the next, the next day because people were so distraught. So it, you got to love it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, how mentally weak can you be that you literally freak out when someone who challenges your opinion? I like Elon doesn't even necessarily challenge. He's like very neutral but someone just doesn't co- go along with, you know, your wokeism that they they make you just melt down to that such an emotional level. Uh, so that it, it, it was very reminiscent of what I see all the time in tech. Um, 
there was also another story um, that Twitter's chief legal officer, uh, Vijaya uh, Gad or Agadia, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, but she apparently broke down and cried on a company call when she had to tell the company that Elon Musk was taking over Twitter. And this person, for context, she was seen as Twitter's moral authority. She made the decision to uh, ban Trump um, and ban other conservative uh, voices. So this what what I think is the biggest victory in all of this is that it is exposing the woke and the and the uh, liberal elite left of exactly the people that they are. They are they hate that they no longer will have a uh, a domination over uh, information in, in in Twitter. They hate that now there's going to be free speech. Um, this is this is revealing their true colors, and I think like beyond Elon just owning that. I think this is the biggest victory of them all, SB. Yeah, and speaking of that, I think back to Republicans. They've been talking about they've been a lot of talk, no action, but they've been talking about going and trying to legislate Twitter with the Section Two Thirty. It's some bizarre, random law that was formed in the mid '90s, I think, about the internet, and so that's kind of been been their big thing. And all these big name Republican senators say we need to do this. Well. They never did anything about it. But then what do we have here? The day that Elon buys Twitter, we have Jen Psaki in the press briefing saying, yeah, we're going to look into Twitter. So it's just another example of what you just said, where any instance of the libs losing control of the narrative, they freak the F out. And if we go all the way back to episode one of this podcast, that this was our top story on Spotify and Joe Rogan where they were nervous that Joe Rogan was having a lot more, uh, he was reaching so many more people with the truth, or even, let's even say it wasn't the truth, Joe Rogan was just reaching more people, and the left freaked out about that. So it's the same thing happening, just on a, on a much larger scale here. I did like another, another aspect of this. So Jack, the CEO, previously, now he's not, um, he came out and, you know, he's really been saying some interesting stuff lately. If you follow him on Twitter, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll every now and then spend some time on Twitter kind of jabbing some people and asking some questions. And he had some great quotes um, because he, he Jack is basically saying that he thinks it was a mistake that Twitter ultimately ended up in the hands of Wall Street. So he said, it's been owned by Wall Street, Twitter has, and the ad model. Taking it back from Wall Street is the correct first step. And then he went on to say in this tweet thread, in principle, I don't believe anyone should own or run Twitter. It wants to be a public good at a protocol level, not a company. So TB, we have obviously talked about that, the public town square. We've gone through that and, and we agree with that. But I think what he said about Wall Street is really important because I see it in the space that, that I work every day. Wall Street has a very big impact on a lot of these companies where, you know, if, if you're a small company starting out, you get VC funding. So you're kind of immediately giving up uh, a lot of your equity, a lot of your say to the company just right off the back in order to get funding. It's just the system we live in. And then what happens is when you sell the company and you IPO, you get all these huge investors that are invested in your stock. And what happens is they have an incredible influence in how the company is run. 
And, you know, I'll just go very broad and say that what, what I see a lot of the time is a lot of these investors are very short term thinkers and they really hurt the long term view of the company. So they're very much focused on next quarter's earnings rather than investing for the long term. And, and so that's kind of the broad view. And Twitter's had this as well, where there was a notable hedge fund, Elliott Management, that wanted Jack gone. And he was able to stay for a while, but they invested some money and they wanted him gone. And then um, another thing I think that these hedge funds do is they're very much ESG woke and they come out and they have ideas about what the company wants to do. And if you don't follow the, the fund's ideas, then you're going to be out as an executive. And so I think a lot of people, including myself, we were pretty skeptical of Jack at Twitter and saying, does this guy really, really want free speech? Trump was banned under him. A lot of conservative accounts were banned under him. And I think what Jack's basically communicating to us is that, look, I, I did all that I could while I was there. It didn't turn out how I wanted it to. I regret it. I'm happy that I left because ultimately my vision couldn't be fulfilled. But if Twitter is going to be this public company um, or just a company in general, someone like Elon is going to be the perfect steward of this company. So it was really important to, to hear that from him. And it would have been one thing for him to say that like immediately after he quit as, as CEO. But it's especially important to hear him say that after maybe it's been six months now where he's been saying some really interesting stuff. So I would encourage the listeners, if, if you haven't been following Jack or know what he's been tweeting and talking about, give him a follow on Twitter and read some of the stuff he's been saying because he's he's asking a lot of great questions and he's also making the making some of the, the worst people mad too, which um which is always a good sign. Yeah, I, I mean, again, Jack continues to go on this tour of completely redeeming himself. Um, I've talked about my my problems with him, but uh, it really seems that. I guess now that he's no under no longer under the thumb of Twitter that he can speak a little more freely. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love that. And I think it's like seeing the tweets like that from Jack, seeing tweets from Elon, like that we shared before about how he thinks he hopes that his sharpest, uh, his harshest critics also stay on Twitter because that's the beauty of free speech. Things like that, when you juxtapose it then with someone like a Jeff Bezos who tweeted out, um, interesting question. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? Like when you compare those two, it, those, those like thoughts and philosophies, it really shows you free speech versus an elite class that believes that they know better than you. Mm. And they are the ultimate arbiters of what right and wrong is or what, what truth uh, or, or uh, false is. And, it's completely ironic and hypocritical coming from someone like a Bezos who, as we point out, owns the Washington Post, where for some reason the liberal media doesn't seem to have a problem with that. Um, but yeah, I think like that that's the exact principle. Like when if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that SB and I at the end of the day, we're, we're very libertarian in our approach. Like we don't want to we believe the government shouldn't be involved in your life really at all except for like very, very narrow uh, instances. Ultimately, the government should be involved just to make sure that everyone is protected, that there's no violence, that um, people, people aren't infringing on other people's liberties, uh, their, liber their right to freedom, happiness, health, safety, etc. They should just be there to guide those basic principles, those basic rights. But beyond that, 
you don't want government involved. You don't want you know big brother watching over you and telling you what to think or what to say. But the liberal elite class believes that they truly do. And this this like, reaction is revealing all of that right now to the world. Uh, but Jack is absolutely right. And, you know, I, I love that he made the commentary that, you know, while he believes that this, you know, Twitter shouldn't be owned by any singular person in the reality where it, it just has to be done that way. He's glad that it's Elon. And, you know, like, that's exactly why we're in such big favor of Elon taking over this. Like we like. We'll get to this in a second, but we actually, when we think predict about the future of Twitter and where we think it's going to go now, you know, after this acquisition, we don't think that uh, it's going to become this Republican platform. I don't, SP, I don't think you you want that either. Like, we just want it to be a neutral, you know, virtual public square. Like, I think that just go back to what the idea, the original idea of Twitter was before it got corrupted and politicized. That's all we want from this. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think uh, I, I you know I, I think Jack coming out and saying this it's it really is is a good show uh, for the future of Twitter. It gives me a lot of hope and where this will go. Whether uh, Jack gets directly involved again with Twitter or not, it's good to see him saying these things. But another interesting you know public or a major figure that is getting involved in all this is uh, our old friend uh, Donald Trump, SB. <laughs> so um, we're going to move into uh, you know, our Embrace Debate Corner. We haven't done one of these in a while, but Trump seems to be a, a consistent pattern here of, of our debates. But there's reports that Donald Trump, regardless of what happens, if uh, Elon makes the decision to let Trump back onto Twitter, it's reported that Donald Trump would actually decline that and not come back. And just use uh, Truth Social as his platform. So uh, the reason why we have a little debate here is, and in my opinion, I actually think that's a big miss on Donald Trump's part. I think that if he were to come back to Twitter and he kind of does, he, 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 come, he does so in a more polished fashion where he just doesn't do his crazy 5 a.m. tweets that he fires off most likely while he's taking a dump in the morning, for being honest. Um and just, you know, trolling people on the Internet, I think he comes back and just, you know, is more just political or not necessarily political, but just more more measured and more controlled while, while still also sharing his his opinions and all that. Um, I think that could actually do him a, a lot of great good. Um, I think by staying on a truth social, like, let's just be honest, truth social is never really going to compete with Twitter in a meaningful way. It's it's just going to be it's just a right wing echo chamber um, and he's going to appeal to that base, but it's going to hurt him in getting his message out. Um, and then I think it's going to just further validate people in the center or the left to center who view him as this kind of just uh, really partisan or really extreme type of figure. I think him staying in a right wing echo chamber is only going to reconfirm their fears about that. So I, I think I think he's he's missing out by not going back to Twitter. So if he has the opportunity, I, I think he should take it. But uh, SB, uh, I know you disagree here. So uh, let, let's would love to hear what you have to say. Well, I, I think that for Trump, he he's saying this now because it it feels OK to say like he, his account actually isn't activated. If and when the day comes where his account is activated, do we really think he's not going to go back on Twitter? I mean, I mean, I, I I think that's just way way too difficult to um to ignore. 
And well, the problem with, with Truth Social also is that he's not even on it yet. So like, what is this guy waiting for? Is he waiting for the technology to get there? Is he, he, I mean, he's certainly not waiting for him to have a, have an opinion on something because as we all know, he has opinions on everything. So he would very easily um, be able to do that. And anyway, like TB, I, I see all the time when his press releases, he puts out, they're tweeted away. Now, Maybe they would be tweeted a lot more if there wasn't actually um, interference on Twitter. But for for him, I mean, I I, I think the I, I think ultimately, do do we think he can actually come back to Twitter restrained? I guess that's that's kind of the that's where I land because he's been doing so well off Twitter. He's he's not in the minds of everybody every single day. The outrage machine isn't there because um, I actually agree with you. If if he could come back to Twitter restrained, that's the best of both worlds. And maybe some people would actually they would they would kind of be all, all right in saying, yeah, maybe he's changed. But do we think we he can actually do that? I guess that's kind of my main disagreement is like, I don't think he can actually do that. <laughs> I know I, I, I do agree with you there. The guy just can't. Con- he just can't control himself, and ultimately, I think that's why he lost the 2020 election. He was just his own worst enemy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting for sure. I, I actually, to your point, he may up front say he's not coming back, but, you know, Twitter is his drug. He, he can't stay off of it. I'm sure he'll come back eventually. Maybe he'll do, like, a grand uh, you know, show with, with Elon bringing him back or something. You know, he likes the theatrics and uh the sh- the, to, to show show things off so i I, th- I think he will come back that's my that's my opinion um but yeah i mean all, all, all this being said you know it's really exciting times for for twitter right now um it's going to become this a neutral space where people from all sides and perspectives are going to share their opinion um, and you know, I, like we used to always say the, the good ideas and the, and this kind of free market type of philosophy, the good ideas will win out, uh, and the bad ideas will wither and die. And there's no singular person or singular group of people who are going to determine what lives and or dies. It's going to be the people it's going to be democratized. And I, I think there, there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think the better, the world would be a better off for it. I, I hope that because of this the world becomes less divided that uh, we, we don't demonize one uh, each other, that it helps to promote speech in such a way that you realize that people who disagree with you aren't these horrible people. They're just pe- good, good natured people, well-intentioned people who just have a different perspective or a different way of looking at things. So um, I think only good can come of this. Um, but anyways, before we move on here, we're going to move on to our, our sports corner here, but SB, did you have any final notes on Twitter before we move on? Yeah, the only other thing, it was actually something that you just shared in our group chat a few minutes before we started recording. We are starting to get input and data that Republicans are getting more followers since Trump bought or since Musk bought Twitter and Democrats are getting less. So we have to feel this out and maybe this is just stray data. It's one day, who knows? But it's very possible that This is proof that there has been that shadow banning and trying to limit the Republican reach and increase the Democrat reach. And, you know, what might happen is 
we might be able to get a much better picture of what's actually going on in the world than what we've seen for the last few years. And if that is the case, that is just absolutely going to be a great thing. So we'll be we'll be following that story for sure. But um, I'm hoping that that's actually true, because I do think that there has been a lot of shadow banning going on. And that is limiting the uh, the Republicans getting the message out. But yeah, but moving on here, we, we've got a sports corner for you. I haven't done uh, a ton of these recently. So NBA playoffs going on. And, you know, there, there's been some good series. So I, I've been watching the, the Celtics and Nets, and that was a, a nice sweep by the Celtics there. So uh, Katie and Kyrie have gone home. But TV, I, I know you had a take here on kind of what's going on with some of these NBA players and certainly one on one on the Nets, but a lot of players around the league. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I've shared this uh, on the show before, but I, I really do like the uh, uh, the NBA. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing a lot of basketball. Even now, in my my older age, uh, I still will play recreationally from time to time. Uh, it's you know, it's a very easily accessible sport. It's easy after work to get some coworkers together and just shoot some hoops. Um, but you know, I, I really do enjoy the game of basketball and. I grew up really enjoying the NBA. Um, you know, I, I wish that I was a little bit older when I could have enjoyed uh, the last time when the, the Knicks actually had a, a, a competent team uh, back when they had Patrick Ewing. But um, even still, I still enjoy watching games. But, you know, I would say recently it's, it's saddened me that objectively speaking here, that of the four major sports, so hockey, baseball, football and basketball, I would say the NBA has uh, has been the, the poorest of the four. And my my thinking for this and recent developments are validating that. Uh, but my thinking is that the NBA has has chosen to become a very player dominated league. And what I mean by that is they allow the players to have complete control and power over decisions that teams and, man- and ownership makes. And I think that's a major miss in, 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 on, on their part. So for context to, to explain where I'm coming from here, recently we see examples of people like Kyrie Irving just choosing not to play. Like he, he's gone over those past uh, couple of years, he's just gone missing for, for weekends at a time, just chooses not to play when he doesn't want to. Uh, we've seen Ben Simmons, that never-ending saga, where he is not injured, he doesn't have any any reason not to he just uh is choosing not to play and he's getting paid millions to do that uh we see players like james harden uh forcing trades to go to to philly uh because he doesn't want to play on uh, on the nets anymore and we've seen other players do this too where they literally just hijack their teams and say nope i want to play with my buddies on this team you must trade me to this team so the team that currently um has them as on their roster they lose all bargaining power. They lose any leverage when it comes to negotiation. So the receiving team, they can get by by offering, you know, second, third round picks or, you know, un, you know, protected first round picks or, you know, just, you know, p- players that aren't as great um, because they know that they, they don't, they, they have all the power because the, the person that they want wants to go to them. And the, and the other team has no really choice to do it because the other player is just going to revolt and say, no, I'm not playing then. Um, so I think that's been a major problem with the NBA now. Like, you don't really see this with, with other leagues where 
players can kind of hijack the league like that. You know, if a player were to speak out like that, they'd be severely fined. They would have no tolerance for it. But I, I think this kind of really coincides with the NBA's overall decision to go woke. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I think like they are so afraid of uh, offending people. Um, I, I think, you know, they, th- there's a lot of factors at play where they're very cautious about saying no um, to, to players trying to, to run things. And I think that ultimately it's, it's hurting their product. And you look at the, the viewership ratings and they're, they're really suffering. They, they really are like of, of the four leagues, they've been, their, their ratings have been plummeting the most. Um, and it, I, I think like you just look at, in addition to those decisions, you also look at the, the players' personalities and they're not the players that we grew up with where they were just kind of these uh, meat and potatoes, blue collar guys who were re- ready to get scrappy, play for the love of the game. These, you know, these athletes have really become, uh, you know, just divas, to be honest, or uh, very, very self-motivated. Um, and and we've, we see this kind of behavior displayed in the NFL, too, and, and, and other leagues. That's not lost on me. But in the NBA, it's even to a higher degree where you have these players like a Kevin Durant making like burner accounts and uh, people like a LeBron James, who's the, he's literally the greatest basketball player of all time, most likely. I think at the end of the day, like with all of his achievements, he's he's up, he's up there with Jordan and Jordan, where he just did his job. He was just an amazing player. Um, never really jumped into uh, the foray of politics. But you have people like LeBron who are just like constantly bragging about himself on Instagram or getting really political and saying really stupid comments. It just like sheds light on just kind of this, this really deep-seated issue that's going on in the NBA where these players are just really all about their own self-promotion and not about playing for the beauty of the game and uh, it really pains me as a as a huge basketball fan seeing that. I, I it just it, the product is is not is not where it should be, and uh, I think the NBA would be wise to not let players have so much power where they can just hijack teams and demand trades. Like we need to kind of shift the scale here. But uh, SB, I, I know uh, you're a Celtics guy, or you at least were at one point. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, you you said so many. Uh, excellent things there it's bizarre because the the more power that these guys have i think a couple things have happened first that the league's just not as competitive as it used to be now i think that's a little bit different this year but if you go back to kd going to the warriors i mean that he he joined he was one of the best players in the league joining a 73 win team that had just set the record for wins in a year so what does that do? And of course, they won the next two championships. So no surprise there. And if I think about KD, a big reason why I believe he went to the Warriors is because he wanted the easy way out to win a ring. So how do you secure your legacy as a basketball player? You are the best player on a championship team, right? Winning, winning finals MVP, that's sort of the best potential accomplishment you can get in NBA. And he joined, and yeah, he did win the finals MVPs, but it's it's pretty uh, clear and pretty obvious that those Warriors teams, they were probably winning anyway. I mean, yeah, you were going up against LeBron, but KD, like, he succumbed to the, the concept that he needed to win that ring. And then what ended up happening was he won the two rings with Golden State, 
But then nobody gave him any credit credit for him because they said, dude, you joined a 73 win team. What did you expect to happen? You, you weren't you were going to win. And then he, he seems to have kind of like turned pretty. I, I don't know if like I don't know if it's right to say that he's angry, but like you were talking about him making burners. Here's this guy making 30, 40 million million dollars a year. He's one of the best athletes on the planet. He's one of the best players in the history of the NBA, and he's making burners on Instagram and Twitter to defend himself against random, you know, anonymous accounts. What's going on here? So how do we get to the situation where the the most, uh, you know, the best athletes in, in the in these major sports, especially the NBA, are doing this? So I, I don't know what what the right answer to fix it is, but it just seems. Like we're not in a right place with with society and with this league if guys are not happy. And I think this isn't just a KD thing. This is a thing that's going going around the league. So I, I am happy that the playoffs are they do seem a lot more competitive this year than they have been in the past. But it's it's not fair to the fans of the teams to give the players this much freedom. And and when you say that, you know, people go, Oh, well, why are you supporting the owners and you know, you're, you're supporting these rich billionaire owners over the players. No, that's not what I'm doing. I want to support these middle to low market teams that they don't really have a shot at a guy like Durant or Harden anymore. So like the Houston Rockets, it would be great if Harden was still on the team trying to win a championship for them. But the dude just is completely out of shape to the point where he's, playing so poorly that the team is forced to trade him and that's the, that's just not a way to run the league and i i do think them going a little bit woke has has really kind of led to this becoming more of an issue and i i don't think that the the every average the everyday average customer paying for the nba if they you know they don't want to go to a game and pay upwards of five hundred dollars plus if they take their family there to see guys not giving effort on the court, maybe not even playing because the resting is a whole thing with the NBA, the NBA these days as well. So yeah, it's, um, it's a bummer to see. And hopefully with some new stars, I mean, Giannis seems like he, uh, he kind of gets it. The, the Celtics guys, I mean, Tatum and Brown, they've, they've been, um, you know, they're younger guys and they seem to, to not have be in that mindset of some of these other guys like a, uh, a Ben Simmons just resting. So Hopefully that changes a little bit, and maybe there needs to be an attitude adjustment um, among the players. But yeah, I am. Um, I'm the same. I'm in the same boat as you. I uh, I used to enjoy the league a lot more than I do now. You, you raise a really good point about the super teams. Like, I think that that whole concept is like it's an extremely lazy way to compete. Like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm this like big athlete. Like, but I did play a lot of sports growing up. So I understand the sense of pride you get when you earn a victory and earn a championship. Um, and I, I think when you form a super team, it like cheapens those those victories. It cheapens that accomplishment because it's easy for someone like a LeBron to win. I think he's at, what, three rings now? Um, it's easy for him to do it when he surrounds himself with some of the best players in the league, guys who are able to kind of find these loopholes and take on cheaper contracts um, to kind of coordinate together to join the same team as much as it makes for exciting basketball to see so many stars on one team it really just kind of it really makes the league very top heavy so you 
before the season even starts, you can predict that you're going to see these super teams in the finals. And then the other ones are just playing for, for the scraps. Um, so th- that's, that's a huge, that's a huge problem I have with it. Uh, you're right though. Like the playoffs now, I think there actually is a lot more parity. I'm really happy that LeBron's Lakers missed the playoffs. Uh, I'm glad that the nets imploded and, you know, by, by kind of these issues that we're talking about, actually Kyrie, you know, skipping around the season. So they got a lower seed and got matched up with a very good Celtics team, uh, hard enforcing his way to the nets. Um, so they kind of were suffering from all these issues that we're pointing out, but, um, you know, I, I will, I will stay in touch. Like I, like I will continue to watch it because I do like basketball and, uh, I do think the playoffs will be exciting. Um, you have a lot of like smaller market teams now, like the Milwaukee Bucks or Memphis Grizzlies who are now at the top of the league. So, um, that is good for, for the brand. So I, I hope that they do well, but yeah, I mean, we, we did want to comment on this because every week it just, you hear these crazy stories from the NBA and most recently with Ben Simmons, just refusing to play and getting paid millions. And SB and I were talking to each other, like what the hell is happening in this league right now? Um, but yeah, you know, we, we haven't done a sports corner in a little while, but we, uh, I'm glad we touched on this one SB. Yeah, we needed to. But moving on here to uh, this is kind of a combo uh, market update and epic gaslighting. So I'm sure you guys have seen, well, maybe you haven't, but anyone scoping out CNBC or checking their portfolio, stocks are just taking a dive. And the big reason for it is because of Bidenflation. So uh, inflation's out of control. The Federal Reserve is is raising rates and they're they're looking to do double or maybe even triple the rate. They usually raise rates. And historically, when when rates when they're hiking interest rates and mortgage rates are going up and they're pulling liquidity from the system, usually a recession kind of happens in the next 12 to 24 months. And that sort of seems like that's probably the path we're on, which is really sad. And the cynic would say that if the Fed forces us into a recession, then that simply solves the inflation problem because most people won't spend. So is that happening? You know, maybe, maybe not. You know, I've also heard the, again, whether it's a conspiracy theory or being cynical, whatever you want to call it, if the stock market goes down, then people are going to spend less because they, because of the wealth effect, they have less money in their bank accounts and their portfolios. And so is that potentially happening? Yeah, maybe that is too. But anyway, uh, not to, to kind of harp on that too much because it's not the best of news. We have a uh, Chuck Schumer here, and it's actually this might be the one of the first times we've touched on him in the pod, which is interesting because there's a there's a <laughs> lot of negatives to say about this guy, but he's out there and he's he's attempting to say that we need to pass a spending package in order to combat inflation, and we do this by raising taxes. So I, I kind of love that how we need to spend more and raise taxes when we might be going into a recession and have out of control inflation. So that's just absurd. And it actually reminds me in Japan, news came out this week from, from over there that they were passing something like a $50 billion stimulus package in order to help pay for higher gas. So just like ridiculous moves all over the place. This is, this is just un- unbelievable. And then um, the Schumer quote TV, this is incredible. If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it, is to undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts and raise rates. TB, 
They are blaming the Trump tax cuts for inflation. <laughs> the I think we call that epic gaslighting, right, SB? I think so. I think that's prime epic gaslighting. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually you, you did make a, a point before that I completely agree with. Uh, I actually was talking about this with a friend. Um, I don't think anymore it is a conspiracy theory to to assume this. When you when you have Schumer saying this, he, he wants to fix inflation by raising taxes, and then all at the same time, according to Forbes today, Joe Biden is very close to passing uh, legislation on canceling uh, student debt, and the assumption is either complete cancellation or a majority of it. So when you have these two things happening in lockstep with one another, you have to ask yourself like they they can't be this this dumb. So it's almost like intentional. Like that's the only explanation. So SB, I don't think that you're wrong for saying that. I don't think that makes you conspiracy theorist at all. I think like at this point, that's the only logical conclusion that we can come to. Um, but it, I, it makes you wonder going back to Schumer, like, will they ever learn? They got us into this hole by spending like crazy and printing money. And now their only solution is to continue doing more of that. Like they're never going to learn. And I believe today Deutsche Bank came out and said they're predicting a very bad recession in 2023. So right now, just as a normal average day consumer and investor, you really have to ask yourself, like, what is the what do you do from here? Like, I don't think the answer anymore is continue to buy in the stock market, because clearly, as we're seeing now, it's in the red and you're losing. It makes you question about your 401k strategy. Um, I think a lot of people try to max out as much as possible, but they're going to be bleeding cash on that. So like there's, you're, there's really few a- avenues to go. And, you know, we touched on Bitcoin a lot in the shows and, you know, I, we're not necessarily going to talk about too much on Bitcoin, but you look at that as an alternative, maybe buying physical gold and silver. But these days it's, it's really concerning as an average person about where to put your money. It seems like more each day that we have less options. Um, so yeah, it, that is just pure epic gaslighting SB. Um, yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about Schumer more because he's one of our favorite whipping boys on the side. Uh, the, the guy is an absolute joke. Uh, he couldn't retire, uh, soon enough, but yeah, it's, what do you expect from him? Yeah. And it's the, the student debt issue. So this has just been, um, ridiculous how they keep on extending it. And when we went on the Canadian Bitcoiners pod, this was one of the topics that Joey brought up the host of the podcast. And he, he wanted our take on the U.S. student debt issue because we were from the U.S. and they're from Canada. And it's such a big issue here. And I, I would encourage everyone, if you didn't listen to that podcast, definitely listen to the whole thing. But if you can't listen to the whole thing, listen to the student debt section. We'll tweet that out because I, I thought we offered some really good points, TB. And and I think I I think I, I remember how it went is you were talking about how you and people you've known they you've put off you put off things in your life because you've wanted to pay down your debt and that makes a lot makes a lot of sense this is what a lot of people do that that are responsible you went into debt in that 18 to 22 year old range because you were learning something for the future so it was a long-term investment in yourself and then once that's paid off and once you're in a better spot in your career you're making more money then you can go out and do those things that you want to accomplish in life buy a house, start a family, um, and, and all that. And then, and that, when you were saying that, that got me thinking. And to then I, I thought when they cancel student debt, 
it's it's seen as it's it's essentially a backdoor stimulus. So it's not a spending bill that Biden's going to pass if you know, but the student debt being released, that means that all those people that are in our age group or, or the ones that just got out of college that are putting off all these things to pay down the debt, all of a sudden they're not going to have to do that anymore. So there's just probably going to be a barrage of spending actually if they cancel student debt. So on one hand, yeah, it would be would it be stimulus for the economy? Sure, because these people that are disadvantaged, I mean, they, they have $100,000 or more in debt and they have a $40,000 job. Like, I think there's a lot of people out there like that. Sadly, those people are going to have more leeway, which is which is good. But at the same time, there's going to be so much more money sloshing around that you really think we're going to uh, solve an inflation problem by doing a massive it's probably going to be a trillion dollar plus stimulus package when you think about it, if you think about the whole student debt issue. So, yeah, um, you know, and I think people like you, like you've talked about this many times, you were actually responsible, TB, in pay- paying off your debt. And it's just a, to- it's a total slap in the face to people being responsible who did the right thing that uh, the student debt would be completely wiped out. And it's a broader right. theme for just what's going on in the, in the country these days with uh, – Biden inflation, the the average everyday American who did everything right, what they are currently seeing, and I'm I, I saw this just recently with chicken. I go somewhere for some flavored chicken, which I like, went from six ninety nine to eight ninety nine, and then my my ribeyes that I like are up. Uh, I think it's sixteen to nineteen dollars. So I'm witnessing some serious inflation, TB, on what I like to buy. Besides the protein powder, too. But <laughs> what, I was just going to say that. <laughs> but what people are getting here is we got – we're getting 25% grocery inflation and probably rent and everything else. So our spending is going up 25%, and now our portfolios are down 25%. So that average person doing everything right, we're getting totally screwed here. So, I mean, that's kind of why we say, yeah, we like Bitcoin, and it actually has been holding up decently well – in terms of the stock market going down, like I think the the Nasdaq was down four percent today. I don't even think Bitcoin was down four percent, so that was encouraging. But yeah, it's it's you try to do the right thing in this society, and you just get squeezed. And it's it's the people at the top who are going to benefit no matter what, and are benefiting benefiting from the volatility. I mean, the Goldman Sachs is putting out great earnings report reports, trading this volatility and buying Russian debt. So that's ridiculous. But then you've got that, and then you've got, on the other hand, the people at the bottom who are always getting the government handouts, and then you've got this very wide group of lower middle and upper middle class that are just getting screwed here on all sides. And it's just really unfortunate, and I'm just not sure how much longer this can go before we just say enough is enough and get some new people in there. And I I mean, I just don't know what else to do because clearly this current administration is not working for the American people. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm really glad that we brought up this topic because going into this SB, uh, we didn't plan on doing a, a riff on uh, student the student loan crisis right now. We were just going to comment on Schumer and Biden's craziness, but um, you know, ironically, we actually haven't talked about this issue on this show, and we we have on shows like the Canadian Bitcoiners, as you said, uh, we've talked about it a couple times with those uh, with those guys, but. To, to give people some context like the it, it's it's absolutely out of control but i think the student loan forgiveness 
while while you do need there there does need to be some reformation there and get education costs under control because they're exorbitant right now it's it's beyond ridiculous but total cancellation is not the answer so to give you some uh to give you some personal experience as sb uh shared just a, a moment ago you know i graduated personally with uh, a sizable amount of student debt i was very lucky to have uh parents that were able to help offset some of those costs but i still still had quite uh you know tens of thousands of debt waiting for me when i graduated so as a 21 year old that is a very daunting task and challenge to have right straight off the bat and then your earning potential your earning power at that age is very very low to pay off that debt but i made a very uh you know a very uh determined decision to decide to to move to to home and live with my parents for a few years to just completely focus on paying off my debt I made sacrifices to do that. I didn't get a nice apartment. I didn't go out all the time. I intentionally said no to a lot of things. And I just became obsessed with paying off my debt. And I'm not saying that everyone should do that. I definitely wasn't extreme in that, that regard. But I think a healthy balance of that is the right, right decision. And I knew people my age who were kind of in similar uh, situations as me uh, in terms of income and uh, level of debt. Where they decide, you know what, I'm just going to pay the minimums or, uh, you know, just put my my loans into forbearance and just, you know, get that nice apartment in the city and go out on the nice vacations. And it, I think with when you have the, this type of thing, it really becomes a, a an issue of personal responsibility and the government rewarding bad behavior or even if it's not to, to be clear, even if it's not a result of bad behavior, I'm totally understanding that there's people in financial strains who who you know face challenges and they don't have the luxury of living with parents like I did that's not lost on me whatsoever but you are punishing people who did do the right thing and pay off their loans um, and I, I think that sets a really bad precedence like what's the recourse for people like me that we kind of set our savings back pretty uh, substantially because we paid off our debt um, there isn't. The, the answer is, oh, well, you should just be happy that future generations won't have this issue. Like, I'm sorry, that doesn't really sit right with me. Uh, I kind of feel like a sucker right now because I could have just done the easy thing and barely paid off my loans and I'd have everything forgiven now. So I, I think that's a horrible, horrible example you can set for the country. And secondly, students who do take on student debt, you can make the argument that, oh, they were too young to know. But that excuse doesn't bear out in any other form of contract. When you sign a contract to buy a car, buy a house, to, to take on a job, that is a commitment, that is an obligation that you are recognizing the cost of taking this on. And in the case of student debt, you are saying, I am going to accept money from a federal or private loan provider at this set interest rate, and I am going to pay it back within 10 years, for example. And like to, to, what, what this does then it says oh you can just void your promise you don't have to back up your the contract that you signed like no like you went into this knowing that you'd have to pay it back so i don't really like I, it doesn't really sit well with me when you kind of are you know uh, you know just kind of cleansing people of any obligation that they that they have uh, i think that's just it's very lazy and i i truly look at it sb as just uh, kind of a, a pretty malicious way of, of buying votes, getting people so beholden to you um, that, you know, you're, you're giving them money to, to basically buy their, their loyalty to you. And 
I think that just hurts the economy and it, it, it's putting a bandaid on the issue. You're not solving the systemic issues that are causing the big bubble that we see now. I think you're just kind of kicking the can down the road and just spending more money and not actually addressing the, the root issue. I, I think that's an astute point because why has this issue been kicked can- down the road and why are they potentially going to quote unquote solve it right now? Well, the midterms are coming up. So what can Biden do? He can go out and run on, hey, Democrats, look at what we accomplished. We removed your student loan debt. What else can we do if we have two more years of power, if you elect us? So I I think you're exactly right. And this is maybe going to be the one thing they attempt to sell, which is going to be a total joke. So, yeah, it's stimulus. It's trying to buy votes and. It's just going to be bad for the economy. It's going to and it's going to divide people because the people that were responsible like you and also the people let, let's let's think about people that are 40, 50, 60. What, what about the guy that's 55 years old that his whole life he was paying student loan debt? He just paid it off. And then all of a sudden, the people get it completely wiped away. I mean, that's not going to sit well with a lot of people. So, yeah, I don't think it's a smart idea. And I agree with you. I, I know I think this goes back to another example of when, when we did something like this is the NFL head coaching and the Rooney rule. And that was a rule that had good intentions but was just extremely short-sighted. And we, we offered a solution. And instead of the NFL listening to the show and taking our solution, they went and went more aggressively in, in the bad direction. And that's what the student loan crisis, that's what, what, what would happen if they took – uh, if they wipe the loans away, it's them going in the, uh, a bad direction again. I think what would be better is you have to reform the whole college issue in general. Why Why are college prices completely out of control? And I mean, that's another hour-long podcast to go into, so we won't do that tonight. But there's a lot of reasons for that that a lot, like we both saw at the school we went to. So, yeah, it's, um, it's unfortunate, but I don't think that's the answer. Um, sadly, I think the Democrats will uh, – We'll try to play that card near the midterm, so that is going to be unfortunate. But TB to uh, to end the pod uh, to, to to get a little bit of levity and to end on some laughs. Uh, <laughs> story about CNN Plus, and we did cover this the last pod, but some some more scoops are trickling out as uh, it's killed, and we get more information. But this was just beautiful. So apparently. There is some internal CNN Plus research that the company put together, and that was leaked to the media. And so I'm reading here, executives bucketed CNN Plus's potential audience into three groups with various models of overlap. And the first group they talked was, get this, 29 million quote-unquote CNN superfans now now this is just preposterous you know i've seen some crazy financial projections in my day being in the investments industry and looking at companies like cnn and their owner but i don't know if i've ever seen a stat that absurd 29 million and just for some context for the listeners i I just pulled this up um the there's a website showbuzz daily that gives you the the uh, the daily numbers for the viewers that cable TV is getting and broadcast TV. So I'm looking at this right now. Tucker Carlson, Monday, April 25th, 3.6 million viewers. So, all right. 
pretty decent amount. And we talked Fox Nation on the pod the other the other day, and uh, they're they're getting subscribers there. CNN, seven hundred fifty thousand. That is the number that these guys are getting in their primetime slot every night. So what is that? You know, it's it's just we we think we can get to twenty nine million, and we're not even getting one million viewers a night for CNN. So total joke. Um, they they epic gaslit themselves by doing this presentation. And uh, a final thing to to uh, that I just thought was again hilarious: the the parent company of CNN, Warner Bros. Discovery. They were just merged about a week ago. They had their first earnings call today, and the new company, the new management that took over uh, the CNN's owner, they said that for 2022 they are going to come in 500 million dollars below profit estimates. And while they didn't say CNN Plus by name, they called out that the Warner Media, the previous owner of CNN, was investing in projects that didn't have good long-term returns. So TV, they didn't name CNN Plus, but all the media reports out there said that they'd already spent $300 million. Of course, they went on this hiring spree. I mean, I'm sure Chris Wallace didn't come cheap, although he should have, but I know he didn't <laughs> come cheap. And we have here just a comedic event where the liberal media, for some reason, thought CNN was going was gonna to drastically outperform CNN, the linear channel. And it turns out that of those 750K viewers, probably 500K of them were from airports. Yeah, it's that uh, super fans category is just hilarious, SB, because where are they coming from? They couldn't even come up with 10,000, more than 10,000 viewers in their first month. So that is just comical. Um, but yeah, if you, if you listen to the our last episode, uh, we absolutely dunked on CNN Plus. So uh, if you want to give yourself a good laugh, uh, highly recommend going back to that to, to listen to that because we we ripped into them SB for, I think, like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, so yeah, I won't beat a dead horse here. Um, the dead horse being CNN Plus, but uh, they, they, you know, the, these numbers—it's it, just super validating that there, there was, there was no point in putting a service like this together. They—they uh, they were trying to monetize already very unpopular content, and I, I think they just they had this false sense of reality of like how much of a demand they have for, for their content. I, you know, I, I really think like the media and social media uh, in particular, they really create this like false sense of reality. Like it, it, you really, if you exist in those spaces, like going back to Twitter, if you are constantly on Twitter, you would assume the entire world is super left and that conservatism is an extremely, extremely minute portion of the, of the population when that's far from it. It's actually probably closer to half the country. So um, that, that is a big reflection of people, uh, of CNN specifically, overestimating their own appeal as well as uh, overestimating the market for, for their type of content. Um, but yeah, that, that's a great one to end on, SB. CNN will continue to give us a lot of good laughs. Uh, but the CNN Plus, that is going to be a story we're going to be laughing at for years. And, and why don't we um, officially end on this? That This is a tweet from Brian Stelter, who, you know, everybody knows that this guy is, is the, the laughing stock of, of news media, if you want to even call it that. But 
April 14th, he tweets out, um, this is a clip of a show on CNN Plus. So it is a CNN Plus special report. Twitter holds all hands meeting after Elon Musk makes bid to take over company. And he's he's talking with another guy who has a show. So it's him and Professor Scott Galloway, two guys who had shows on the very short-lived CNN Plus. And the quote is that, I don't think this is a serious offer, and the market doesn't think this is a serious offer that Professor Galloway says. So not only is this a show on CNN Plus that doesn't exist anymore, but it was just a hilariously bad take because Elon ultimately ended up buying Twitter. So you know what? If CNN Plus, uh, if they actually had some interesting, interesting content, maybe they would be okay. But if they're going to have content like this where they totally doubt what um, what Elon's going to do, there's no need for him. Now, even having said that, TB, like I, I, there is some funny, funny comments about Jim Cramer on Friday or something. He was saying that there's no chance the, the Twitter board is going to take the deal and they ended up doing it. So, look, a lot of people got the Twitter situation wrong, but... I, I encourage the listeners, like you said, like go back, listen to our initial take on Elon. I think it holds up really well. A lot of people were doubting it. We were happy about it. We thought there was more to come. And for the future, you know, I'm getting very excited about the future here, TB. I, I, I've, we've kind of been joking about it on on the Twitter page, but there, there's been a lot of wokeness that's kind of come down a little bit since we started this podcast, hasn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, some might say it's a coincidence, but I think not. Uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of this happening now. So actually, I think like uh, not to pat ourselves too hard in the back, but I, I don't think we could have timed us launching this podcast at a better time. Um, so that that's awesome to see. Uh, I actually I have a uh, before we end here, SB, I, I have a fun fact for you on on uh, Brian Stelter. Hmm. So uh do you know how old he is? <laughs> yeah. He's a lot. He's a lot younger than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening and you don't know the answer and you haven't Googled it by now, uh, our dear friend Brian Stelter is 35 years old. So <laughs> oh, I was going to say like 38 at least. Yeah. I mean, originally I was going to say 50. I thought he was 50, but yeah, that's just a joke. Uh, look, we're we're not in the business of. <laughs> Fat, you know, fat, fat shaming or, or, or making fun of people's body image. But when it comes to him, he uh, he bucks the trend and age has not been kind to him. Uh, I, actually, I do stand corrected. He is 36. So uh, he's got one extra year of cushion there. But yes, 36 years old. When I found that out, SB, I, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, literally, I literally thought he was 50. I don't I don't I, the same thing as you. I had that moment of realization and said, are, are you kidding me? But yeah, he's no, but he's just an example of it, it's just epic gaslighting. I mean, that's why we have the hashtag, because these people don't actually understand what's going on. And like it, in a normal world, something like CNN plus can't happen. Like it, it like logistically, it can't happen because there's not enough people that would ever sign up for it. But only in peak woke clown world 2022 when the gaslighters can gaslight themselves, that is the only possible situation where CNN Plus exists. And we happen to be in peak woke, so that's what happened. Yeah. Well, before we close here, I did want to make one final commentary on the show. 
Um, our last, our latest episode as uh, the second of our double dose last week. Um, it has already become our be- our best uh, streaming episode so far. So for for us, like we can't begin to explain like how much of a proud moment that is for the two of us going into this, thinking this was just going to be a fun hobby and just really seeing the the receptions uh, already so far in just the less than three months that we've been doing this show. So just want to thank our view- viewers and listeners once again for uh, you know, sticking with us, uh, sharing feedback, uh, being loyal listeners. That's not lost on us. Uh, so I uh, just want to take a moment to, to thank everyone for, uh, for following the show. Yeah, that was well said. I, I echo those sentiments. And yeah, we're, we're looking forward to giving you guys a lot more doses of, of the antidote here coming up. Absolutely. Yeah, so we this was a, an early one for us, uh, but we'll be back with uh, another episode later this week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, as you can see, there's just so much news that's coming out these days. So we're gonna probably have another jam-packed episode. But uh, you know, can't wait to to cover that one with you all. And uh, for now, we'll see you on the the Twitter sphere, um, the you know the the, the nicer, more uh, neutral one. Uh, so. Enjoy some fire memes from SB, and uh, we'll, we'll be back soon, folks. Cheers.